If you asked a group of kids who they thought was blessed, there's a good chance you'd get answers that include friends with money, friends with talent, celebrities, or intelligent people they know. None of these answers would surprise us. It's how the world has trained us to think that the strong, the smart, the beautiful, the talented, the rich, that those are the people who are blessed. But one of the topics Jesus taught most about was the kingdom of God because the values of God's kingdom are completely unlike the values of the world. In Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he begins by correcting our understanding of who is blessed and as he does so, he teaches us how we should be or become if we want to reflect the kingdom of God in our lives. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. And I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are beginning a six-part series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I am excited about this because we're going to get into some of Jesus' most famous teachings. We know in the book of Matthew that Matthew is the one who wants to show Jesus is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one who is traced all the way back to the father Abraham. And he shows that Jesus has authority in one of those areas is teaching. And that's what we're going to talk about, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, three chapters, a very uh, condensed teaching, Daryl. We're not 100% sure if Jesus actually said all of this in one sitting. Boy, it'd be like drinking <laughs> from a fire hose, uh, if so, or if this is a collection of things he regularly taught. There's another version of this in Luke 6, except there it's the Sermon on the Plain, but it's got a lot of uh, similarities. But right, as you said, Matthew wrote for a Jewish reading audience to affirm for those who already believed Jesus was the Messiah they'd been waiting for, to say, yep, he is. But for those who are on the fence to say, no, my fellow Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. So what you get in Matthew is a lot of scripture quotes or sometimes just references, allusions to scripture because he knew his audience would get it. Right. right, And so we're going to see that today when we dive into the very, very first part of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus begins with what we now call the Beatitudes. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I just want to stop there, Scott, and just talk about the word blessed. It's interesting that, that Jesus uses that in the first set of these verses. He uses the word blessed, which is happy, fortunate to be envied. Um, and it's interesting because the situations in which he says blessed, they don't seem like situations where we, people would feel blessed. It's contrary to what the world standards is. Exactly. It is interesting, too, in what you read that Jesus saw the crowds but then the disciples came to him, and then verse 2 says, and he began to teach them. Yeah. So there are a lot of scholars who think this was not for the general public, though they, they overheard it, but it was for the disciples who'd already been called into the kingdom of God by grace when Jesus said, follow me. And that's important because we don't want to turn these traits of the Beatitudes into like entrance requirements. Like, okay. well, if you make yourself this way, then you're automatically going to get in. Jesus is blessing those who are already 
already this way among the disciples, and that's part of why Jesus called them. But right, what we get here is an upside-down version of the way the world defines success, as you said in the intro. Dallas Willard, who wrote a great book on the Sermon on the Mount called The Divine Conspiracy, said, what Jesus is doing here is he's answering two very basic questions that people have always asked. What is the good life, and who is a good person? It's really powerful that the standards that are brought out are turning the world's priorities on their heads. Right. And, you know, Jesus is really saying that in the situation that the world does not call blessed, I'm calling it blessed because there is something that comes after that. But there's a couple of things I like to look at, especially when it says blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. And I was thinking, what is the poor in spirit? You know, because people can be rich monetarily and materialistically and still be poor in spirit. And and I'm thinking that that means, and I looked at scholars on this, is that it means that those are people who are know they're in desperate need of God's grace and his love and his mercy. And they're humble enough to admit that, even though that externally they may be looking very successful to the world, but they are able to name that, no, I need God's grace. I need his forgiveness. I need his peace in my life. And I know that I've been in that situation before, Scott. Interestingly, if you look at Luke's version of the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6, Luke kind of does make this more like economic poverty because he'll go on to condemn the rich uh, in the opposite Beatitudes in Luke 6. In Matthew, though, it isn't economic. It's exactly what you just said, Daryl. They're spiritually dry. They're spiritually mm-hmm. destitute. They know they can't make it on their own in life, and that makes them open to God. The poor in spirit know it's not a good thing to be poor in spirit. It's kind of miserable, actually. Uh, Nobody should want to be poor in spirit. But when we are poor in spirit, then we know that only God can take care of us. Only God can give us what we need spiritually and, well, for eternal life, ultimately. So, yeah, that's exactly right. When you know you can't make it on your own spiritually, that's when God comes in and says, yeah, but I got you. You know, I've got you by my grace. And that's the longing that we all need to be fulfilled in us. And I also looked at where it says, uh, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And and mourning is a situation that the Jews are no stranger to. Um, In the situation that they live in, they are not under the rule of King David anymore. They got Roman oppression around them and they mourn what Jerusalem used to be and what the kingdom used to mean for them, how it used to be united and then got separated. They got exiled and all of these things happened in their history. They have a lot to mourn for. And God says through Jesus in this teaching, you actually are seen, you are heard, and you will be comforted because God is the only one that could comfort us in situations that are beyond grief and they're beyond our situation to fix quickly. God is the one that could address that. Reminds me of Isaiah 40. The people of Israel way back when were in Babylonian exile Mm -hmm. and Isaiah comes Comfort, 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 my people, comfort those who mourn. Those who mourn, the ones that Jesus is declaring blessed here, these aren't just sort of, you know, downer people or people who just, you know, are real emotional or something. This is godly sorrow, I think, Daryl, right? Uh, you mourn because the world isn't the way God wanted it to be. Uh, you mourn because you know you are not who you were made to be. So this is a godly sorrow that just mourns over the fact, weeps over the fact, rues the fact that we've clearly fallen so far from what God has called us to be. 
Everything isn't hunky-dory. Everything isn't peaches and cream. But as we continue in the next segment, we're going to talk about what else God has to say through Christ in the Beatitudes. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we just started with the first few verses of the Beatitudes. And we're going to dig right back in, starting at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And um, Daryl, we could talk about each one of these for (laughs) 15, 20 minutes apiece, but we're going to try to do it inside this one segment. And so we'll kind of begin with the meek. And again, we said in the previous segment, Jesus is showing us that when you fly upside down by the world standards, that's when you're blessed. And here we see it because to a lot of the world, Daryl, nobody wants to be meek. Yeah, so for some reason in this world and even in the world that the Jewish people that he's speaking to came from, meekness is weakness because, I mean, you're, it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You repay evil for evil, retribution. You get what you deserve. And even in this culture that we live in, it's, some people are like, don't get mad, get even. And they want to take vengeance to their, to their own hands, and they want to make sure that you know you did wrong. But meekness is actually when you withhold your peace and you allow God to solve the problem in a way that he's planned to solve it. So when, the, when it says the meek will inherit the earth, it's actually an illusion, I think, to uh, scholars say that it's coming from Psalm 37, where it says, fret not yourself because of evildoers, because they're in due time, God will address this situation with them and so you don't need to worry yourself about if they're winning or they look like they're winning or they're getting away with something because we serve a just God. There's a sense, Daryl, in the previous segment we looked at the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Those are the people the world derides as losers. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, no, they're not losers. Here, the meek are those the world derides as wimps. Like you just said, meekness is weakness. You know, nobody wants to be the world's doormat. You know, right. uh, nobody wants to be taken advantage of. The meek say, "I'd rather be taken advantage of than resort to violence myself. I'd rather take it." In, in silence, as Jesus himself did, of course, eventually at the end of his life. I'd rather do that than give in to the world's tactics of always just using, you know, might makes right and so forth. So the meek are those who are willing to suffer, those who are willing to uh, not strike back, to leave those things to God so that we can be more like Jesus. So that's what it means to be meek. And Jesus says, guess what? Meekness is weakness? Uh-uh. You will inherit the whole earth. <laughs> that's what he says. That's the, a great reversal. Those who are meek and mild now, as Jesus was, they're going to get the whole earth. 
Um, they're not losers. They're not wimps. This is true strength given to us by God. And then next, uh, hunger and thirst, but not just for food and drink, but for righteousness. I think Jesus is really using a tactic to connect natural things to spiritual things. We'll come back to that later on in the in the program. But it's really cool how it shows that we have more than just physical desires. We have deep longings that are inside of us and they are for righteousness. So Jesus is saying we should long for, and we should hunger and thirst for the way God's standard of living is and the way he has his plans established the world. That's the true righteousness. It comes from the kingdom of God's way of doing things. Unfortunately, this world does not live according to that standard and therefore there will be brokenness. There will be a longing that is not fulfilled until fully he returns and establishes that. But there are things that we can do right now, while like pray for righteousness, like ask God to make us instruments of righteousness. And we could actually impact the world in small but effective ways. But hungering and thirsting is where it starts. Exactly. And righteousness, we said earlier that Matthew wrote this for a Jewish reading audience that was really literate about the Bible. They knew their Bibles, right? And in the what we now call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, righteousness, tzedekah, or being a righteous person, a tzedek, right? That was huge. Righteousness is the key characteristic of God for Israel. God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, was just. God is the straight line against which we determine all other crookedness in our right. worlds, right? So what you just said is right. We need to long for justice. The old saying, you know, the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Martin that's Luther because, King. yeah, Martin Luther King, that's because God is a just God, a righteous God. He wants people treated right. He wants societies treated right. He wants us to treat each other in love as the image bearers of God that we are. And so if we hunger and thirst to be like God, to be righteous, we will, Jesus says, be filled because the day will come when God will be all and all, and all of us who have desired God will be filled by him. And then two last things as, uh, as we close out uh, this part of the program. Blessed are those who are merciful and also pure in heart, and they might be somewhat related, Daryl, but Jesus says you are blessed if you are merciful because you will be shown mercy and that's sort of a happy, vicious cycle, isn't it, of grace and forgiveness? It's a beautiful thing, because if you think about mercy, mercy is when there's an offense or there's something that happens, right. but then you don't give that person or they don't give you what you deserve in that situation. They give you something better that you do not deserve and you cannot earn. So if someone crossed you or if someone sinned against you, mercy would be, OK, it's not ignoring that that thing was wrong. But it is acknowledging it and choosing to give you an alternative that you could not deserve in that situation. And God, who is rich in mercy, has done this with us while we were yet sinners. He died for us and he gave us a gift of salvation by grace through faith. He saved us, right? We didn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. And because we live under that God's rule, we are called to show the same mercy to one another that he's shown to us. As we've said before, Daryl, on different Groundware programs, uh, this just shows that we get it. 
I can't be happy that God forgave all my sins by his mercy and grace and then turn right around like the unmerciful servant in the parable and just choke somebody to death for a little tiny offense they did to me. It's like you can't be happy about grace in your own life and then refuse to share it with others. If it makes you happy, hey, spread the joy. Forgive other people, right? And this is also how you get to the last beatitude, the pure in heart. None of us are pure in heart, right? Who may ascend God's holy hill, the psalm said, but only one with clean hands and a pure heart. Well, who's that? (laughs) Jesus. Only Jesus. So we get a pure heart, not because we're able to crank that up ourselves or cleanse it ourselves. We get that by grace, too. And Jesus says, if you're pure in heart, it's a gift. And then he says, for you will see God. Sin keeps us from seeing God. Sin separates us from God. But when God is merciful to us, when he gives us by grace a pure heart, now we can see God. It's a beautiful thing. We ask him for a new heart, just like in Psalm Mm. 51, you need to create in us a clean heart, but we don't have that. And that is exactly what he does. And the pure in heart are the ones who will see God. It's a promise. And as we wrap up the rest of this episode, we're going to talk about the last part of the Beatitudes. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork, where we are in the first episode of a six-part series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 through 7. And in this first program, we're looking at the very first part, Daryl, the Beatitudes. And we've looked at all of them now, except for just the last couple, beginning at verse 9. It says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it shifts a little bit here, so we get another uh, standard beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers. And then uh, we get not a trait, uh, but a fact. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. So this isn't something you are. This is something that happens to you because of who you are, because you are a righteous person. We just said a minute ago, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you get that righteousness in your life, sometimes the world doesn't like it and they're going to beat you up for it. They're going to persecute you, but don't worry. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. So let's think a little bit about this. Let's start with that standard beatitude, the last one on the list, peacemakers. What is that about, Daryl? Well, it's really interesting that he uses the word peacemaker here because in their time when he was sitting there teaching them about this, there were wars, there were rumors of wars, they're under Roman rule, their violence was prevalent. They had killings for sport. They had the Colosseum. They had all these games of things that they would do to have peace is actually a radical idea in a, in a world that is kind of violent driven. And even today we have media and movies and all these things that like 
glorify violence in a way. So to have a peacemaking attitude. And I don't I don't want you to think peacekeeping, Scott. I'm talking about peacemaking. There's a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. Peacekeeping is when you think you can sweep everything under the rug. You don't want to rock the boat. You don't want anybody offended. You don't want to make any waves. And that is actually unrealistic and not able to be done. But peacemaking actually is a way to work through challenges, conflicts, differences, and get to a place of reconciliation. And that is what he's calling us to do. And that is what children of God do. When I think of peacekeepers, I think of like, you know, people with guns, right? Oh. The, the United Nations peacekeepers, right? Well, what are they doing? Well, they're keeping the peace by preventing violence, by, by you know, I got a gun, so don't mess up. That's not, you're right. That's not what Jesus means. This is a positive dimension because we're not talking about peace. We're talking about shalom. Yes. And shalom is not just the absence of conflict or keeping conflict at bay because, you know, peacekeepers got guns. No, peacemaking is positive. It's constructive. It's making life better, right? In shalom, all people and all creatures exist in mutually edifying relationships. It's sort of the classic, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll help you, you help me. I'll make your life better, Daryl. You make my life better. And together we're going to make her life better. And we're going to make life better for the animals of this planet and all creatures. So peacemaking is constructive. It's not just staying quiet, don't rock the boat, don't engage in conflict. No. Yeah, we do avoid that. But peacemaking is an action to make life better. But sometimes when you do that, oddly enough, the world doesn't like it and they actually persecute you because you're actually trying to bring in God's ways of doing things. Ultimately, the most important piece is to make peace with God. And this is what Christ did. He made peace between God and us uh, becoming the instrument of our peace. So confession and repentance is how you become a child of God in the first place. But when you start living according to that standard, which is a kingdom standard, then the world will oppose it. Satan will oppose it. And there are forces in this world that will oppose it. And that's how you get to the persecution. Jesus assumes persecution. He doesn't say if it might happen, maybe he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness and that right way of God doing things. When you're persecuted, it means that people will oppose you. They will beat you. They will abuse you. They will even kill you because of the cause you carry. And in this case, it's the cause of Christ. So you can be killed for that because you say you believe and you will not renounce him. And if we've seen Fox's Book of Martyrs and many others who have named many thousands of Christians who have died for their faith. And yet, particularly in the country I've grown up in, in the United States, people often seem surprised when the world can be a little hard on Christians. And in, in fact, our typical reaction is say, well, that's not right. You know, so let's pass some laws to make it easier to be Christians. We're surprised when the world opposes us sometimes. Jesus says, why are you surprised? I told you this would happen. The more you live for me, the closer you get to my righteousness and make it your own, the more the world is going to persecute you and rough you up. So don't be surprised. Don't think you can legislate it away so that, you know, Christians never get questioned or never get opposed. Jesus says that's not going to happen until the kingdom fully comes. Your job is to be faithful and to endure the persecution. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. The world can't take the kingdom of heaven away from you. So stay strong, stay true. Don't think you're doing it wrong because you're persecuted. In fact, assume you're doing it right. 
And you know what else he says? He, he actually gives them something to do. He tells them to rejoice and be glad mm-hmm. because great is a reward in heaven. So there have been people, there have been prophets, there have been other people who have served God, who have endured this same kind of persecution. So if you are being persecuted, guess what? You're in good company. And even though you don't feel like rejoicing because it is actually really hard, Jesus doesn't dismiss that it's not going to be difficult, but he wants them to rejoice because the prophets had that. And if the servant is no greater than his master, they did it to Jesus. They're also going to do it to his believers as well. Reminds me of Jesus' brother, James, who would later write a letter saying, you know, count it all joy when you encounter trials. And and, and I always read that verse and go, mm, I wish you hadn't said that, <laughs> because it is not easy to rejoice when you're being roughed up or when you're being criticized. That can only be a gift of the Holy Spirit right there, Daryl, because nobody really naturally would rejoice when you're getting roughed up. And, uh, Daryl, what it basically means is uh, what Matthew is presenting to his readers is there's a new sheriff in town. Jesus is revealing to us something very new about the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful thing because the message that he taught in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, it still rings true today. And at any moment, we could be deeply encouraged by what Jesus had to teach us there because those facts and those truths can still encourage us today. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we study what Jesus means when he says we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Connect with us now at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.